Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org and live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Returning to the Dr. Doctor guest microphone today, will be Dr. Bob Schutz, who will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. He's a marriage and family therapist, now retired and devoting full-time to his work at the JP2 Healing Center. So that doesn't really sound retired to me. And he'll explore with us the anatomy of a wound and the six steps to healing of our wounds. And you guys might recognize his voice or his picture if you're watching us on YouTube because we've had Bob on the show before. We've covered two previous topics. First, we covered an overview of kind of the complete picture of healing that integrates us as human persons comprised of both a material body and an immaterial soul. Second, secondly, we did a fantastic episode on the interplay between physical health and marriage, how they affect each other and how how to have the type of marriage that will benefit your physical health. Today, we're going to be going deeper, as Tom said, into the anatomy of the wound and wounds that not only affect our bodies, but also our souls and how they interact. Uh, we're also going to cover some steps that, you know, Tom, Tom can introduce here a little bit. We're going to cover some steps about how to heal from these wounds as well. Yeah, this is kind of important uh, to me. It seems like uh, Dr. Doctor has helped out on my health as much as anybody's for meeting our guests. And some of you may have heard bits and pieces of my story and my uh, my trials with anxiety over the decades. Uh, and I've learned a lot from guests such as Kevin Majors, Cindy Hunt, and uh, Sister Marcia Weber, where I got off of antidepressants for 30 years that I was on uh, for anxiety. So I was off of them for two years, but then in May of this year, um, I had just a huge recurrence of the anxiety. But up until that time, things I'd learned like acceptance and commitment therapy, intermittent fasting, a high intensity interval exercise, living in the present moment were all helping. So just before this happened, um, our sponsor, Lewis Brown at CMF Cure, recommended having Bob Schutz as a guest. And we interviewed him early in May of uh, this year. But before that, he sent me his book, Be Healed, which I was reading providentially the weekend that my dad died when I was actually out of town speaking at a conference. Well, two weeks after interviewing Bob, my terrifying anxiety became physical. It wasn't worries anymore. It was actually physical in my abdomen and my chest. And I didn't know what to do. And I guess you get patients like that, Andrew, who sometimes you can empathize with them, but you just don't know where to go with it. Well, anxiety is one of those things, it seems like to me, is that frequently it will catch you by surprise. I mean, sometimes you can see it coming. This is going to be a bad meeting. But when it catches you by surprise, you're minding your own business. How do you react? Most people, I'd say, are, are not prepared for that because they didn't expect it. And, you know, I, I'm reminded of the parable in the, in the Bible about the, the soul who'd been cleansed of an unclean spirit. But then the unclean spirit found some compatriots and made the condition of the man worse than it was before. And I kind of felt like that, like I've been free of this. And now I was worse than ever. And I realized there was something deeper. And it's something I've heard different healing workshops, speakers, books. And, and that is a lot of what we treat treats the symptoms. And I was treating the symptoms pretty effectively for two years. But there's something behind the system, symptoms. There, there's patterns. There's behaviors that we have started to make a part of our normal lives um, that are really self-defeating to us and to those uh, around them. So I had to go back on not just one medication, but three medications just to keep me functioning so I could safely operate on my patients and be somewhat normal to people around me. And so another previous guest, Larry Mittenall, child psychiatrist, talked about how sometimes medications are like a cast that uh, you wear until your bone is healed. So I've been going through this process now for over six months with the help of Bob and, and some other people that he knows. Uh, and, and some of it involves healing of wounds and memories. And I remember hearing about that way back in the 80s and 90s. And I thought it was one of these spooky Catholic things. You know, it's like only these women who spend most of the day in church today praying rosaries. I don't know if you can relate to that, Andrew, but there's some things that just feel that way. Well, a lot of uh, a lot of times, I think people can 
give maybe a pat answer with religious undertones like, oh, why why does the rain fall? Oh, God made it that way. Like you're answering <laughs> a three-year-old and you don't know the answer. Um, and so sometimes when, when we talk about previous wounds and stuff, it can kind of seem nebulous, uh, kind of like, unfortunately, this is a cause we have no cure. But that's not the answer, right? There is there is treatment for this. Yes, which Bob has learned about. And, uh, you know, listening to some people with a lot of influence in the church, they think this could be a cultural tsunami of, of healing graces being poured out within the church. And they've always been available, but that have not been taken advantage of, that God's always offering to us. So I first was introduced to, you know, following his approach back in June by our friend, uh, Dr. Cindy Hunt. And I said, okay, I'm going to go into this holy hour. I'm going to try to go back to this bad root memory and something wonderful is going to happen. And nothing happened. And God's timing is not our timing. And I've been waiting and I realize that's part of it because as Bob will tell us, he's always healing us even when we don't feel it. Maybe especially when we don't uh, feel it. Because as he said in a recent podcast of his I listened to, you can't manipulate God. Now, slowly, my medication that I've been on, the three, are, are slowly going down, and this is good. Um, and I realized that, you know, he's going to talk about different kinds of wounds, since a lot of our wounds are identity wounds, and therefore we act to fill up our identities. So I've been working backwards. I've learned that we're supposed to first build our life, our identity, based on our relationship with God. That relationship gives us our identity, and from our identity comes our mission, I've had it backwards for 50 years that I take on all these missions to try to assemble an identity that hopefully other people will like, and then I'll have friends and relationships and maybe please God. So um, he's going to talk about it much better than I am. I just want to tell you that I've realized that I am burnt out uh, physically and emotionally. And I am resigning from 10 years of work, intense work uh, with a number of different groups um, within the next couple of weeks of recording this. And, uh, you know, this Be Healed retreat I went on, which some of you can go on and find other places that Dr. Bob helped start, are incredible. I highly recommend it if you can attend them. But enough about me. Um, I believe there's not a listener who can't benefit from Bob, what Bob is going to say in this episode. Well, and I, I think you, you're striking a chord with a lot of people when you talk about burnout as well. Because, I mean, this is something we talk about a lot in medicine but I think it it can be seen in other areas as well, and it has a lot to do with the expectations that we put on ourselves and just the culture of we're, there's a lot expected of us, you know, of, of everybody, and we put a lot of burdens on ourselves. So I really appreciate, Tom, you sharing your story uh, with our listeners, and I think maybe seeing exactly what, what we're going to go through today is going to help a lot of people. Amen to that. But before we get to Bob, our medical trivia question of the day. And the category is physical wound healing. And I put together with stitches a bunch of wounds every single day with two layers of stitches. And they're there to hold the skin together until the scar that forms can hold the skin together without the need for the stitches. So the question is simply this. Compared to the strength of normal skin, how strong is a scar three weeks after putting in the stitches? Is it 5%, 20%, 40%, or 80%? You'll have to hang around till the end of the show to find the answer, but we'll be back after the break on Dr. Doctor with Dr. Bob Schutz. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, when today we are blessed to have with us Dr. Bob Schutz. He's been with us twice before. He's got a PhD in family relations and worked as a marriage and family counselor for a number of years. He's the author this time of the book, Be Healed, A Guide to Encountering the Powerful Love of Jesus in Your Life by Ave Maria Press at Notre Dame, Inter uh, Indiana. And you can um, you know, buy that online easily. And he founded the John Paul II Healing Center, where he and his team provide healing and equipping conferences for clergy, religious, and lay people in the Catholic Church, which I've already mentioned are superb. His books, along with recorded talks, conferences, workbooks on marriage and healing are available through jpiihealingcenter.org, jp2healingcenter.org. He has a show that he co-hosts with Jake Kim called Restore the Glory. It's a podcast. It's wonderful and practical. He was married for 42 years to Margie before she passed away in 2017. And she has two grown daughters who are married, serve in his ministry with him. And he has 10 grandchildren in whom he delights. Bob, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. 
Thank you, Dr. Tom and Dr. Andrew, <laughs> Dr. Doctor. <laughs> All right, Bob, as we go through the anatomy of the healing of wounds, we'd like you to use an example to help us understand what a wound is better. So the first question, really, what is a wound? Yes, it's, well, if we're speaking to doctors, every doctor knows what a wound is, right? A physical <laughs> wound. A physical wound. Yeah, and I, let's use that by analogy. Uh, if somebody comes up and I have a wound on my shoulder, and you don't know I have a wound on my shoulder, uh, and you happen to bump my shoulder, I'm going to scream, ouch, where you're wondering what's the big deal. You know, I just touched your shoulder. But if there's a wound there that's hidden, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring a lot of pain. And so we have what are called psychic wounds or soul wounds. And they're not visible to our normal eye, but they're visible in, you know, say some of brain scans and things. We can see some of the effects of these in, in, the, in the body and in the brain. But we certainly know by effect uh, that there are wounds that we carry around. And, and they're usually places where people bump up against us relationally and they're not meaning anything by it, but in us, there's a hurt. And, you know, when we talk about wounds in a psychological sense, they're usually accompanied by uh, psychological pain, emotional pain, and belief systems and other things that we'll talk about tonight that kind of surround the wound, you know, as we talk about that. So, so what causes a wound? What creates a wound? Well, I would say there's three primary things that create wounds. Uh, I would say experiences of abandonment, experiences of rejection, and experiences of betrayal. Hmm. Um, I, I would say those three kinds of things in our life, and they can be conscious or unconscious. They could be big events or not so big events. Uh, you know, we can experience abandonment, for example, by somebody just not understanding us. And, and we are present with the person, but we feel very alone emotionally in that situation. Uh, or by somebody that we love leaving, you know, as I experienced in my family with my dad leaving. Uh, rejection, I was just talking to somebody earlier today who never felt wanted from the time they were in the womb. They were, they were born without their parents uh, being married. And the child was seen as the cause of their unhappiness. And so from the deep place of, of being in the womb, there's a, there's a wound of rejection that has stayed with that person their entire life and is in the process of healing now. But it's, it's a really deep and powerful wound. Are, are there other ways that we should be thinking about wounds as far as different types? Um, yeah, you're referring to seven deadly wounds? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I know you kind of referenced that type A wounds, type B. Oh, type A and type B, yeah. Things okay. of that nature. Can you explain yeah. a little for, yeah. for the listeners? Yeah, type A and type B, uh, this is from people who develop the life model. There's uh, neurologists, psychologists, psychiatrists who develop something called the life model. And they talk about type A and type B trauma or wounds. Those are synonymous. Uh, when we talk about trauma, we're also it's interchangeable with the word wounds. And um, so type A are the absence of the good things that we need. And type B are the bad things that happen to us. And so oftentimes we would recognize the bad things that happen to us as causing woundedness. Uh, but we often don't recognize until we see what we've been missing, the type A, the absence of, you know. So let's say somebody just wasn't warmly nurtured as a child. Uh, and they don't even know. It's just it's like breathing the air. It's just right. normal life. Until you see another parent with a child nurturing their child, and you have this awareness of, I didn't, I don't know that experience. Right. There's something missing there. Or you get married and your spouse is affectionate, and you're kind of standoffish, and you're saying, uh, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. And then all of a sudden you realize there's a barrier up because of a loss of connection. So would abandonment be the deprivation kind, and would rejection be a type B when bad things happen? Yeah, generally speaking, but sometimes, sometimes the abandonment is so visible that it can be a type B. I see. Yeah, so more of the invisible kinds of rejections and abandonments 
could both be in okay. the type A. And, and those two, abandonment rejection, are two of what you call the seven deadly wounds. Yes. Uh, and uh, the, the other five wounds, you know, I would say that betrayal fits with fear wounds, you know, which okay. is wounds, wounds and trust. So it's, it's broken trust. It's places where I can't trust again because I've been betrayed. I've been hurt in that way. Uh, there's other ways that fear wounds manifest. But then the other four wounds I look at as more complementary to those wounds, which are powerlessness, ah. hopelessness, shame, and confusion. So almost always when we have a psychological wound, there's going to be an element of confusion where we try to figure it out with our understanding and it's and it's at a d- deeper level. So it, it's like we get into confusion with that. Uh, and then shame is a really common and deep one. And it, it's the internalization of the message from the wound, which is I'm bad, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm, I'm not good enough, I'm dirty. You know, we could see this with sexual abuse or we could see it with pornography use or we could see it just by experiences of, of uh, feeling inadequate in situations or feeling responsible for things. Those are all examples of shame wounds. So on the Be Healed retreat I attended recently, uh, Dr. Tom Nelson, who's been in our show, mentioned that with these wounds, our bodies keep the score. What does that yeah. mean? Yeah, there's actually been some really good research uh, this uh, around this right now. But uh, we've known it for a while that the, the research of, say, Penner uh, and Penner back in uh, McGill University years ago, they found that every memory that we've experienced is in our brain is registered in a memory cell. Uh, and then other research has shown we have cells in the heart. And these heart cells are memory cells. And some really interesting stuff with, with heart transplants. I won't go into that right now. But but our hearts also keep memory of events. Uh, and, and a lot of times we don't know, we don't remember the event, even though it's stored in our brain. Uh, but experiences will will call it back you know uh relational experiences will will bring an echo of it and and so you know we we've known for a long time about repression repression of memories that kind of things but our body also holds it in the way we breathe in our muscles and our body posture and our facial expressions i mean there are so many ways in which we carry the memories in the present moment of the trauma that we've experienced, you know. So, for example, today I remember I was watching. I was walking this morning, and I noticed that, that I was kind of closed in on myself as I was walking, and I started taking deep breaths, and I and I realized it was difficult to take deep breaths, and I then put my shoulders back, and you know, you could say, well, that's just posture, but when you keep going back to the same postures, it's not just habitual. There's also oftentimes a way of compensating for for pain in your body, you know, emotional, physical pain in your body. Uh, and so we do that in a lot of different ways, and we're usually not aware of it until we have some kind of a, a body awareness or treatment of the body. What What does it mean? You, you had mentioned repressed trauma, or I've heard the term un, untended trauma. What does it mean when it's it's not been addressed appropriately? What does that look like? How does it affect us? Yeah, uh, this is some really good trauma research is coming out right now. And they're discovering that there is equal level of trauma from the event itself that caused the pain and from having nobody present to tend to you in the pain. That They used to think that was a secondary thing. They're finding out that that's equally wounding. You know, maybe we would say it as a, an abandonment wound, but it's it's no ability to process through it. And if in the moment of being hurt, we have the opportunity to process through it, we can move through something pretty quickly. But if we don't have any anybody there tending to us uh, and we don't know how to process it in prayer or some other way, and most of us as children don't know how to do that, then, then we bury the pain. Then, then it just gets buried in us and it doesn't go away. And, and that's what a repressed memory is. It's, it's We now no longer either remember it, uh, and this is what we often talk about as dissociation, is we can't remember it, or we don't feel the experience of it. We may remember it, but be disconnected emotionally from the experience. 
So when you talk about wounds, just like when there's a splinter in the body, we form layers of tissue around it. Well, there's layers around the wounds. What are these layers? Yeah, we, we talk about this and be healed about the anatomy of a wound. Uh, and it was Father Mark Toop who used to teach this and wrote the introduction. He came up with that phrase. I thought it was pretty catchy. Uh, and I like to draw it as three circles uh, kind of around the human heart. So the inside circle is the wound itself. It's the event that causes the pain. And then the circle right around that is what we call beliefs, what we believe about ourselves, about God, about other people because of that experience. And then the outside circle is something we call inner vows uh, or the, the resolutions of our wills to try to save ourselves, to try to protect ourselves. And my experience has been, as I've walked with people, is usually where there's an unhealed wound, there's those other two levels, and they're like barriers. And, and so we typically talk about these as barriers or, or walls around our heart. Uh, but understanding what those walls are and how to deal with those walls is really important. And so beliefs, as an example, are the lies we believe about ourselves. So each one of those seven deadly wounds has beliefs associated with it, like abandonment is I'm all alone, or rejection is I'm not loved, or I'm not lovable. Powerlessness is I can't change this, I'm stuck. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. So each one of those has beliefs, but we also can make judgments about the people who hurt us, or about the nature of God or the nature of life, or the nature of men or the nature of women. So for example, somebody's been sexually abused as a child, let's say it's a woman sexually abused by a man, they might form judgments about men in general, like all men want is sex, or men can't be trusted. That would be a belief that's used to protect against being hurt, but it then becomes a barrier to any kind of love or intimacy. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot there that, and people often don't even realize they're there, don't they? No, it, it, these are things that we're generally not conscious of until we begin a healing process. And and then the outer level is the is the vows or the inner resolutions. And you know, the the healthy way, if you will, to resolve a wound is for for somebody to tend to you and care for you and help you process it. Or if nobody's around, to turn to prayer and be able to process it in prayer with Jesus or with the Father or, you know, Blessed Mother. Uh, but in the absence of that, what most of us do is we become self-reliant at that moment. Like, it's up to me to take care of myself here. And so the vows will be, I'll never trust a man again, or I'll never trust a woman again, or I, I won't trust authority because I've been hurt by authority, or I'm not going to be like my father, or I'm not going to be like my mother. I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the big wounds in my life was my, and I've talked about this before, but my dad's infidelity and him then leaving the family and starting another family. And even though there was a lot of healing later in the family, there was still need for all of us to heal the wounds of that experience. Okay, so I made a vow, which seemed like a really good vow to me, which is I will never hurt anybody like that. I'll never be angry and I'll, I'll never get divorced. Okay. Those seem like three good things, mm -hmm. right? But each one of them put me in prison. So my marital vows, which I made to my wife on the day that we were married was made in the Holy spirit. These inner vows, I will not divorce were made out of fear and judgment, right? That, vow, that inner vow that I made out of fear and judgment almost destroyed my marriage because I was always living in fear and in judgment based on that experience. The marriage vows kept us together. So there was a point in my life when those two things came together in a collision. Yes. And thank God for the marriage vows because it allowed me to go through and deal with the pain rather than live out of those inner vows. And, and you talk about these beliefs often as stronghold lies that lead to vows. Why do you use the phrase stronghold and lie? Yeah, well, those are biblical. It's biblical language, but it's also representative of the reality that's there. So a stronghold in biblical language is uh, 
you know, they talk about fortresses like castles and fortresses. Right. And so in the Psalms, David is often talking about the Lord is my stronghold, my fortress, my deliverer. Well, when we don't turn to the Lord and we turn to self, then self becomes the stronghold. These vows become our stronghold. And and they really are. They're barriers that keep pain out, but they keep love out. But they, so, and they, they keep pain in. So there's a phrase, in. perfect love casts out all fear. Could you reverse it and say perfect fear casts out all love? I think you could say that. Yeah. 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 Because often with fear is control, right? Out of our fear of being hurt, we, we, we end up controlling. And the vows are some of the ways we do that. What, what are some of the common physical manifestations of these wounds? Yeah, that's, those are really good questions. As I've watched over time, uh, it's really an interesting study. And it, it, this just comes from, I don't have this written anywhere because it's not a science to me yet. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's an art of observing. But I'll tell you what I've experienced. And I think we use some of this language, right? Like if you have pain in the heart, what would you guess the wound is? Um, relationship. Yeah, but what would be the of the seven deadly wounds? Um, rejection. Yeah, right. If you will hear people talking about their pain of rejection, almost always they start to experience pain around the heart. Ah. Mm. Whereas if you see somebody struggling with confusion, you'll see their their Wrinkled. brow become furrowed, and you know they get the kind of this look, and they may even get a little headache up on their forehead. Uh, huh. If you have somebody who's dealing with fear, it has a lot of different manifestations. Undealt with fear has locked uh, locked jaws, locked muscles in our bodies, tense shoulders, tense neck. Uh, active fear has uh, a churning in the stomach, uh, feeling of uh, anxiety, kind of tension in the chest, powerlessness oftentimes has a sense of uh, the, the arms and the legs, maybe even in the hips having pain or, or, or kind of a heaviness. And then hopelessness uh, has that a lot, which is kind of the whole body becomes listless. Depression would be an example of an extreme level of hopelessness that somebody's taken on. Um, abandonment is also deep in the abdomen. Oh, and there's usually fear there, uh, but but that abandonment pain will will come like a a, a stirring, uh, almost like you want to throw up, or like there's just a lot of anxiety and pain around the stomach. Um, if there's usually sexual abuse issues, it can be more down closer to the genitals, but the abandonment can be there also, and then shame. Uh, usually it's around the part of the body that's been violated. You know, so if it's been sexual abuse, there can be shame around uh, the genitals. Or shame, a lot of times we see shame when people look down and they don't want to make eye contact or cover their face yep. or uh, hide. Those are all manifestations, physical manifestations of shame. This, this is fascinating. I think you've given, enough to, given us enough to know that if people are experiencing this, they want to be healed. And so when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about the six general steps that you've elucidated that people go through when they need to be healed. I'll see you after the break here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back to the second half of this episode with Dr. Bob Schutz. We just covered the anatomy of a wound, psychic wounds, soul wounds, which can affect our bodies. And now we're going to talk about the steps of healing of wounds. And it's not immediate, let me tell you, but it is deep. So Bob, with along with his Be Healed book, there's a, a workbook that goes along with it called the Healing the Whole Person Workbook. And I've spent a lot of time with page 40, which talks about praying for inner healing in, in six steps. And you know, the first step talks about identifying current distress symptoms. What does that mean, Bob? Yeah, um, it's just paying attention to what's going on in your life right now, basically. And, you know, so many people say, well, I don't have these memories or I don't know how to get to healing of the areas. I don't know where the wounds are. And so we say, just start with where you are. What What's an area that either happened this week or an area that you have kind of as a habitual area of struggle. And so 
what we'll do as we're praying with somebody is we'll stop and say, okay, let's just identify what happened. You know, let's just describe what happened. And then what did you feel in the middle of that? And not so much intellectualize what you felt, but see if you can go back and feel what you felt in that situation. And then and this is the hard thing for people to identify. And this is where sometimes having somebody walk with you helps. It's to be able to say, what did you believe in the midst of that feeling? Right? What, did, what did you believe as you were feeling that in that experience? So they might say, I felt anger. Okay, well, what did you believe in, in the anger? And then they may have a hard time identifying. Well, I'm not sure what I believe. What, what judgment did you make about the other person? How about yourself? What did you experience in that interaction? How did you feel that caused the anger? Well, I felt powerless. I felt rejected. I felt afraid. Okay. What did you believe? Well, again, we're asking the Holy Spirit to show us. We're not just figuring it out. So we're, we're kind of drilling down into from the experience to the wounds to the beliefs. And the assumption is, is if, it, if it's a repetitive experience, then it's probably not just a random event. It's probably something that's tapping into an area of woundedness. And we find out by, by praying the next step. So to tell us about the second step. Yeah, the second step, and it's important that we don't do this. This is the difference between when I was practicing therapy and my own reasoning versus relying on the Holy Spirit. Okay, and because I can only go so far in my own reasoning. It wasn't that it was bad. It was just limited. Uh, and, and so in, in this, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the person where this experience, this same feeling and this belief is rooted in their history. And as the person will get quiet, sometimes they'll try to figure out, we just say, just be quiet, don't try to figure it out. Those are those are ways of us just being in control ourselves. Just allow it to be revealed. Sometimes people can't at that point, and it's okay, they will go back to the experience. But if they're able to, oftentimes, there either be a memory that comes up or a series of memories that are the same kind of experience over and over again. Uh, and let's just say that the, that same example of anger, uh, the feeling of anger, and there, there's a feeling of rejection behind that. And so the Holy Spirit, and people receive very differently. Some people see images. Some people see uh, don't see it all. They just have thoughts. Some people have emotional experiences, and they don't have any pictures. But we just pay attention to what's going on with them and then allow them to identify, right, this was going on here. So I'll just share a little experience. Just the other day I was just praying this way, and I was working on a, an experience with my mother related to the time after my dad left. Okay, and there were certain things that were happening, and I thought I had all these different feelings. They were surface feelings. But when I stopped and prayed, the Lord showed me that deeper than all of those feelings was this deep sense of sadness for my mother and for myself. And that that had created a tie, an emotional tie with my mom that created some of the other symptoms. But I didn't realize it until I stopped and prayed. Up until that point, I had all these other thoughts. They were accurate, but they were more surface level. Uh, and so just trusting the Holy Spirit to reveal how how do you how do you practically work through this? Because I know one of the the big things we talk about is continue working on it as an active choice of your own will. But then we're we're also praying that the Holy Spirit reveals stuff. How do you balance God healing you, I guess, uh -huh. uh, and you trying to to work through things yourself? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's it's like everything else in the Christian life. It's it's grace and work together, right? It's it's human effort and grace, but human effort without grace leads to us in godly, ungodly self-reliance. And just waiting for God to do that is just being passive and 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 not participating. You know, grace comes with participation. So it's it's that combination. And sometimes uh, we can do it in adoration. Uh, I know, Doctor Tom, you've talked about doing that in adoration. Oh, yes. and, 
and just relying on the grace of the sacrament uh, to guide. Uh, other times it's having somebody facilitate with us. Other times it's just in our own prayer time. Uh, we're just sitting there and, and just praying. And again, it's not a, it's, it's not uh, mechanical. And that is, you, you just can't go mechanically through these steps. It's, it's a process of prayer and discernment as you go. So, Bob, you talk about getting to kind of the root cause. How do we know when we've gotten to a root cause or the root cause of some of these wounds? Yeah, and let me just say that sometimes the Lord will be very gentle and bring us to a level that we can handle. Okay. And there may be a deeper one. So it doesn't have to be the root cause, but it's a root cause okay. that that is a, a earlier experience of that. And how we know is, that, is there's a there's a felt match between the current event distress and that experience. It's like we, you know, I don't know if you played as a kid, you used to play match game, you know, like with cards, you turn oh, yes. them over and you, you match. Yeah. And, and you can, you can hear the match so clearly when you say, okay, what do you feel in that memory? Let yourself pay attention to what you're feeling. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about the other person? And, and you hear a strong echo of that current event, you know, they match. Got it. And and then you say, okay, we're we're on to something here. Uh, sometimes you have to pray around and, and and see, and it could be that that's not the memory. It could be that you just haven't gone deep enough into the experience of it. And again, all this is led by the Holy Spirit, not trying to fix or change yourself. You can't schedule this and follow a to-do list to get it done. <laughs> so, so that that that's the, the the third stuff step. You know, identifying the experience, the corresponding belief and lie that fits with your current. So, the fourth step is what some people say it's all about. What is that blessed fourth step? Yeah, it's asking Jesus to reveal His love and truth in the situation. And so, the first question that people often run into is. Uh, how can I know this is Jesus and not me? Yes. Right? And, and that's discerning of spirits. I mean, it's just like, what, what are the, what's the fruit of it? Uh, a lot of times, I mean, I have some, some really common experiences of this and some really amazing experiences of this. But a lot of times, when it's Jesus, it's a surprise. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like it's outside of our realm of what we thought it would be. Uh, I remember one guy who... Uh, had a, had this prayer experience. I talk about his name, Patrick, in the book. Uh, oh yes, real suffering, and uh, he talks about um, there was a trauma where his dad was violent towards him. Yes, and in the memory, Jesus goes to his dad rather than to him, <laughs> and he is so angry in the memory, which is the first time he was able. He had been depressed. This is the first time he's able to feel his anger towards his dad. And now he's angry at Jesus for going to his dad. But in the memory, as soon as Jesus touched his dad's shoulder and looked at his dad with compassion, Patrick was able to forgive his dad for the first time. He didn't know he didn't have forgiveness, but he, he felt the shift in his heart. And it was just totally a surprise to him. And he wouldn't have constructed an image like that. Uh, right. It was right? a surprise. Yeah, yeah, I just read that book this week, and that was a yeah, very... Okay moving scene yeah um, isn't that and then the healing that happened with his dad after that was amazing yeah yes uh incredible real suffering another book uh i heartily recommend easy to read read and profound so we invite jesus into those old memories but what do we do if it feels like nothing's happening like it's just no no image no feeling no thoughts yeah and then we look for barriers which is the fifth step Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the barriers can be many and different kinds. And again, we don't try to figure it out. We just pray and try to discern. So one barrier might be dissociation, which is uh, I have this wall up between myself and this place of my experience, my conscious awareness and this place of my experience so that I can't let in the revelation. It's like there's this wall blocking me from being able to experience it. Uh, I'll tell you an experience of myself in a minute with that. Second one might be uh, our own control. 
that, that we're not aware of, but we're trying to manufacture and control and experience because we haven't developed the security to let go and to trust. And so sometimes it takes a while to be able to trust enough to allow ourselves to receive an experience rather than manufacture an event. Another experience might be deep unforgiveness or judgment uh, that's blocking it. There, there can be lots of different, it might be shame, like the sense of unworthiness, like uh, I'm not worthy for Jesus to come. So there's this barrier there, or it might be a real deep abandonment. And so one of the things I do when people, when we pray and ask Jesus to reveal his presence there, because Jesus says I'm present at every moment of the time, you know, so it's not a matter of whether he's present or not. It's a matter of whether we can be aware of his presence. And so if we pray and we experience there's no answer, there's no revelation, and, and I've experienced that same thing in myself, um, there's often an indication of an abandonment wound. Like, Jesus isn't here for me. And so what I'll ask a person who's experiencing that is, what does that feel like when you pray and nothing happens? And they may say something like that. Well, I feel like it's my fault, like I must be doing something wrong, which would be a shame. Or I feel helpless, like there's nothing I know how to do to get free or hopeless. This is never going to change. Or I feel abandoned. Why doesn't Jesus come to me? What's wrong that he won't come to me? You know, we're rejected. So I'll then go with whatever the experience is from Jesus not showing up, and then we'll pray with that because that's usually revealing a deeper wound behind that barrier. Wow. And I remember you and Jake on your podcast talking about there's some song that says there's no wall that Jesus won't break down to get to me or something <laughs> and how that's really wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, there may be uh, helpfulness in the imagery, you know, like the warrior Jesus is going to come after me and he's not going to have anything stop him. Uh, but in practice, God is a great respecter of our free will and of our and of our sensitivities and he does not push past our barriers uh he does not tear our barriers down because our barriers have been there to protect us and he recognizes there's, there's pain behind those barriers we wouldn't have barriers if there wasn't pain and so a lot of times what we'll do is instead of saying jesus pull down this barrier we'll just say jesus would you be present to this place in their memory where this barrier has been erected and will you show us what that barrier is and why it's there? Like what, what, what's the function of this barrier? Because barriers are always for protection. And so what, what, what's behind it that need, needs protected? Ah, how, how often are these, these initial wounds or these barriers as a result of sin as opposed uh, to, you know, something happening. There, there, there can be those, but the again, Jesus isn't Jesus isn't pushed away by our sin, right? I mean, he comes he comes to us in the place of our sin. You see that all the way through the scriptures, right? He comes to the sinner, so he's not put off by our sin. So it's not him who's not coming because of our sin. It's us, maybe in our shame of our sin, that we keep him away. Uh, which is a different thing. So it's not the sin itself. You know, you could say unforgiveness would be a sin, you know, the, the sin of anger, the, the deadly sin of anger. Unforgiveness could be a barrier, but it's not the unforgiveness that keeps Jesus away. It's the un unforgiveness that keeps our heart barricaded against Jesus' presence. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I, I would say so. I, I know that's one of the, one of the things that, I feel like many people turn to spiritually is there some some unconfessed sin or overlooked sin that type of thing, but mm -hmm. it needn't be a, a sinful process that that has these wounds starting. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times we we want to search for this hidden sin, and you know whether or not that's there, it's usually unproductive. To how, go in that direction. how does this process work with traditional counseling? Is this something that would be best done? kind of as a standalone, or I know many people probably when they get to this point and they're looking for spiritual healing, they've already tried counseling, they're in counseling, maybe they've never tried it, 
What what kind of advice would you give to those people? Yeah, let, let me just say we train all kind of different people to pray like this. We train uh, therapists to pray like this. We train prayer ministry people who are lay people to pray like this. And we train uh, spiritual directors and priests to pray like this. Uh, we even train some doctors to pray like this. Uh, and whatever the whatever the background of the person, uh, the person themselves who's doing the praying, if they're, let's say as a therapist, it took me a, it took me about 10 years of practice before I began to realize that this could be a helpful tool in practice because of my own spiritual journey. And then from that point forward, it was always respecting the person that I was with and where they were spiritually. But by the end of my practice, everybody that came to me came to me because they knew that they'd seen the results of prayer and they wanted to come to have counseling and prayer together. So it just was kind of fluidly interchanged with the counseling. And uh, how was it interchanged? It was just by trying to trust the Holy Spirit as I'm listening where we needed to pray and where the person was stuck and reason wasn't going to do it. Uh, so kind of like it, you and your medical practice, if you're going to pray for physical healing for somebody, uh, you know, you would treat them medically to the best of your ability. And if there's places that that wasn't making the progress or just because you wanted to recognize that praying with everybody, even with the medical process, is going to be helpful. You know, you're going to add prayer to your professional experience. Same thing in, as a therapist. Uh, it wasn't one or the other. It was just seeing them both, you know, faith and reason. So, so working through these steps, this is primarily a prayer action rather yes. than a psychological um, action. Yeah, it's a prayer action, although... You know, you can hear the psychological pieces in it that get incorporated into the prayer. Uh, but yeah, it's a prayer. It's it's all prayer. So yeah, we have people who are totally untrained in any kind of psychological sciences who sometimes do this prayer process a lot easier because they're not they're not all encumbered by their professional background and training, uh, and and they just have this facility of of allowing God to work through them. And, you know, it's really what we're we're trying to do around the country and outside of the country is get as many people trained as possible because there's so many hurting people, and the therapists are overloaded. And so, how do we multiply? Yes. So, in our last thirty seconds, Bob, if a listener wants to delve deeper into this, where do you recommend they go and do? Uh, well, our, our website would have a lot of those resources. Yep. Uh, you mentioned the workbook and the books. Um, this prayer process is in a recent book called. Uh, be Restored, uh, where I go through, I have all these in the appendix, I have all these processes. Uh, our prayer ministry training we do once a year uh, is on our website. Uh, our conferences uh, and talks and everything are up there. So a lot of that, you can go to the website and find a whole lot, and our podcast also. That you yes, mentioned. highly recommend it. Bob, thanks for being with us again on Dr. Doctor. You're a fountain of wisdom. Well, Thank you. Hopefully that's the Holy Spirit's wisdom and, and my ignorance. Amen. God bless Amen. you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. And we are back with Dr. Doctor and the answer today to the medical trivia question. Tom, how many, how many uh, scars did you have to torture to get this information? <laughs> I read somebody else who did it. I didn't break it <laughs> apart. So the question, three weeks after sewing a wound together in the skin, what percent of strength of normal skin does it have at that point? And the answer is 20%. At one week, a wound only has 5% of its normal skin strength, 20% by week three, which when it's safe to start massaging a wound real hard to get the, the scar to smooth out. But we were talking about different types of wounds today, Andrew, and I'm sure you've got three great takeaways for our audience. Yeah. You know, I, I this is such an interesting whole realm and topic. It's something that we don't cover in regular medical school, but I do think it's something that can help a lot of people because there are a lot of folks who are suffering. You know, the first thing that we talked about was just identifying the wounds. There's different types of wounds, which we discussed, but just identifying the wounds. And I love the analogy of somebody's shoulder who hurts and you bump them. Yeah. And there's a response that you don't expect. Well, there's a wound there, yes. you know, and uh, we've all experienced that with, with in our, our interactions. Um, 
Number two, you look for those barriers uh, and the vows in particular, things we tell ourselves to help protect ourselves from suffering a similar wound, help protect that wound from getting hurt. Um, but those are critical usually in, in the healing process. And, and the healing process, I'd say, would be number three. And you, if you identify that you're, you're having issues with this, and really I think all of us probably have some issues with this in different ways. There Actually, are people to help you. Said the only people who suffer from this are those who have sinned or been sinned against. Otherwise, you don't have a problem. Oh, really? Well, I hope that's <laughs> relief for a lot of people. I was probing them on the sin stuff at the end there. No, no, they're, they're a result of somebody's sin, usually against us. See, that's great. Tom, I'm going to have you co-star with Bob on the next one. I'm going to ask all the questions. That's only because I've read and listened to his stuff so much. <laughs> well, the, the third point, if you want to learn more and you think that you could benefit from this, please check out jp2healingcenter.org. It's jpihealingcenter.org. There are people to help you work through this process, and Bob is an expert in that. So we appreciated him coming on. Yep, and we're going to have him on again. But until then, thank you for listening to another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this and all our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. Just click on Episode Archive at the top where you can search over 300 episodes by topic or guest. And we now offer a video version of our podcast. Just click on the YouTube link near the top of the homepage at drdoctor.org. If you have a question or a great idea for an episode topic, just click where it says Submit a Question. And this is Dr. Tom McGovern. Dr. Andrew Mullally, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.